Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 1 England and Wales Chapter 22 Early History of Welbeck Assembly The history of Welbeck Assembly goes back to the early days of the movement in London, it being one of the first to be established after the start at Rostorn Street. Originally meeting in a room in Orchard Street, a name which figures largely in early Brethren records and correspondence, the Assembly in the year 1860 removed to premises in Welbeck Street, from which it took its name. Lord Congleton was in fellowship here for thirty years, a period marked by seasons of blessing and spiritual calm, following hard upon anxious and disturbing times. A brother, who for many years was associated in the oversight at Welbeck Hall, has left behind remembrances which give us some insight into the life and character manifested in the assembly at that time. In this connection his allusion to Lord Congleton's care and interest in the welfare of the assembly is recalled. My early impression of him, says the writer, was that he was a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth, his chief pleasure being to meet with those who were introduced to him as Christians walking according to the light they possessed, to such he had always a word of encouragement, and was always meek and gentle in his manner towards them. Usually he would take their names and addresses, in order, if possible, to shepherd them, no matter what their social position in life might be, he had a large heart for gospel and Sunday school work, in which he was always interested and set a high value on prayer meetings and on Bible readings. When acting in church discipline he never flinched, however painful the duty. He was ever willing to receive into fellowship any who were commended by those known as sound in the faith. Where there was a difficulty he was always ready to have it cleared up, and very slow to take up or to repeat any charges brought against an individual or an assembly. Other notable names to be found in the register of those who had a powerful influence in the spiritual good of the assembly include Earl of Cavan, Mr. and Mrs. Yap, Lady Queensberry, Lord and Lady Radstock and family, and Mr. Underwood. It was at Welbeck Hall that the quarterly missionary meetings were held, and the names of brethren who were present at those early gatherings conjure up memories of some of the pioneers who went out from the assemblies, Arnach Hunter, Baedeker, Hudson Taylor, Crawford, Blamire, Wigston, and others. It is worthy of note that the missionary interest thus fostered has been strikingly maintained in a very practical sense, and there are many still out in regions beyond in the Lord's work who spent the whole of their assembly life at the Welbeck Hall meeting. In the days of which we white, there were from 300 to 400 in fellowship. Since then the number of assemblies in London has, as we have seen, increased in a considerable measure, but with the tendency of late years to remove to the suburbs, the present assembly now numbers less than quarter of its original size. One pleasing instance of happy Christian unity, which other assemblies of the Lord's people might well seek to emulate, has marked in a very real way the unhindered leading of the Holy Spirit. A well-known exclusive assembly, formerly meeting at Marble Row, Oxford Street, and formed just after the first division among brethren, has in the last year or so come together with the Welbeck Hall Assembly, and now meets in happy fellowship at Number 1 Rossmore Road. The United Meeting still bears the old name of Welbeck Hall. About fifty years ago a few brethren living in the Highgate district of North London were for some time meeting with an assembly in Hampton Road, Holloway. There being no assembly in their own neighbourhood, and the distance to Hampton Road being considerable, it was thought desirable to commence a testimony nearer home. With this in view, the help and guidance of Charles P. E. Bilson, who was at that time in fellowship with the Archway Assembly, was sought. He at once offered his own drawing-room, which was a large apartment over his shop, and very suitable for the purpose of worship meetings. It was here that the Calmley Hall Assembly, 
which today has a membership of 250, was formed. Soon afterwards, Robert Ferry became associated with the little gathering of believers and remained to guide the assembly almost until his home call in 1924. On Sunday afternoons, when the weather was fine, a gospel meeting was held in Highgate Woods. A public footpath passing that way, numbers of people would gather around the speakers or remain nearby, where the trunk of a fallen tree afforded seating accommodation. As interest in this effort became evident an unoccupied shop was rented, and later the premises were enlarged to meet the growing need. About this time, a women's meeting was commenced by Mrs. Cooper. It was held on Sunday afternoons and was followed by a homely cup of tea. Thus many of the women, among them a number of servant girls in whose welfare Mrs. Cooper showed a deep interest, remained to the evening gospel meeting, resulting in a number of them, as they came to know the Lord, being added to the assembly. In the window of the shop premises where these meetings were held, a large open Bible was placed by Mrs. Cooper for passers-by to read. These meetings have been carried on since that time and have proved a source of much spiritual blessing. Five years after the start in Mr. Bilson's drawing room and the subsequent removal of the little assembly to the shop premises, it became necessary to seek larger and better adapted accommodation, and the present hall was built. It received its name from Colmally Park, which is nearby. A special window was provided in the new building for Mrs. Cooper's Bible, with an arrangement for the illumination of the pages when the nights were dark, and the word has been displayed ever since. Few assemblies have shown a more practical concern in the furtherance of the gospel in foreign lands than the Company of Christians meeting at Calmally Hall, there being at the present time eight missionaries serving the Lord who went out from this assembly. In this connection it is of interest to mention that among the number is Sidney Adams, of Malaya, one of a family of eight sons and four daughters of Mr. A. Adams, of East Finchley, one of the original brethren who met over fifty years ago, all of whom were brought to the Lord and baptized at Calmally Hall. The Start at Greenwich The assembly at Greenwich had its inception, in a considerable measure, through the labors of James W. C. Fagan, whose name has already been mentioned in connection with gospel activities in the London neighborhood. With a view to establishing a testimony where at that time no gospel witness existed, he purchased a large public house in the High Street, Deptford, and turned it into a gospel hall, which became the spiritual birthplace of numbers who were attracted by the faithful message. Following this undertaking, a gospel testimony was also commenced by Mr. Fagan at Greenwich, where largely attended meetings were held both in tent and theatre. The converts from this fruitful effort and from the activities at the West Greenwich Ragged School were, under the guidance of Mr. Fagan and Joseph W. Jordan, whose name is also notably associated with many of the London assemblies, gathered into a room in the town where the little company first broke bread. This was in the month of August, 1875, and marked the commencement of the Greenwich Assembly. The meeting was later transferred to the King George Street Hall, these premises having been purchased from the Wesleyan body and converted into a suitable assembly hall and schoolroom. Though the name of James W. C. Fagan is more directly connected with the founding and maintenance of Fagan's homes for destitute boys, yet he ever found time and opportunity to evangelize and teach amongst the assemblies in and around London, wherever a door was opened. In his early years he was brought in close contact with many prominent brethren, whose names take a notable place in the narrative of events before us. During the frequent visits of J. N. Darby to Southampton, and later to London, the Irish leader on several occasions was a welcome guest at the home of the Fagans. 
the mother of Mr. Fagan, who died in 1907, was wont to relate how she recalled Mr. Darby as a clergyman coming down from the pulpit of the church where he ministered and walking along the street in his black ministerial robes, to join the company of Christians who had been in the habit of coming together in apostolic simplicity each Lord's Day, for the breaking of bread. Brought up in this spiritual atmosphere it is not to be wondered at that young Fagan, soon after his conversion, seized every available opportunity, both in hall and open-air work, that he might lend a helping hand in the exhilarating work of soul-winning. And as we have already seen, there were few assemblies in the metropolis where an aggressive work was being carried on, that his presence was not felt in a very practical way. Among the notable helpers associated with Greenwich Assembly, the name of Huntington Stone is affectionately remembered. With a heart for the propagation of the gospel in the foreign field, he devoted both time and money that the message of salvation might be carried to the uttermost parts of the earth. Mr. Stone provided a training home for young men and another for young women going abroad, and left his fortune of £250,000 to echoes of service for the Lord's work. In this record of assemblies of the Lord's people, formed some generations ago, it may prove an encouragement to include the experience of an assembly of more recent date. In the year 1926 five brethren with their wives met in conference to consider the possibility for testimony in a rural district on the outskirts of London. Among them was Mr. J. W. Lang, who with remarkable foresight conceived the idea. They had recently come to reside in the neighborhood, having previously been in fellowship with assemblies of believers in the north. At that time a new railway had been built, connecting the green fields with the great metropolis. These Christian believers, all engaged in active business or home duties, visualized the day when these green fields would become fields of humanity, spiritually white unto harvest. They planned and prayed, seeking a Heavenly Father's guidance as to the very best site for a place of worship, gospel testimony and fellowship in this developing neighborhood. At that time the most suitable site was occupied by a railway, which would be removed in the course of a year. It was thought advisable, therefore, to wait patiently until the site was available rather than hasten matters and build a hall in a less suitable position. Then there was the problem as to what size of hall should be built. Those faithful believers visualized great opportunities as dwelling houses were being erected in the neighborhood, and yet the fear was often there would the undertaking prove a failure? A hail was planned to seat 400 to 500, with a Sunday school of equal size. At last the site became vacant and the building of Woodcroft Hall began. By the time it was ready the number of believers had increased to 20. On the day when the hall was opened, Christians from surrounding assemblies gathered to show fellowship in the undertaking, which was a great cheer to the few who had shouldered so great a responsibility. And when, on the day following, they met to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread, how small in number they seemed and how weak they felt, but how precious was the sense of the Lord's presence. It being virgin soil with a growing population and no competitive Christian work, the Sunday school began with a membership of 500 and gradually increased to 1,000. The intention of the Christians at first was to keep the hall undisturbed and not use it as a Sunday school, but the needs of the work made it necessary to consecrate the hall for Sunday school work as well as for worship and gospel testimony. Soon afterwards seven additional rooms large enough to accommodate about 80 children in each were added. On the first Sunday evening the gospel meeting had an attendance of 150, but this number gradually decreased until the attendance numbered only 70 or 80. It was decided, therefore, to announce a lantern talk instead of the usual gospel service, the slides illustrating the life of our Lord. 
For of the brethren, in turn, read portions from the Gospels, which had been carefully prepared for the occasion, describing the slides. This rather unorthodox form of Gospel appeal attracted quite a number, and that night seemed to mark the turn in the attendance at the Gospel meetings as numbers steadily increased from that time. At the close of six years there were 240 in fellowship. Of this number about one-third were from churches where modernism had robbed the message of all its power, and people sought the assembly where the Lord was revered and His word honored. Another third had moved into the district from other churches, while the remainder had been saved and received into fellowship since the opening of the hall. It was considered that the assembly was now too large for fellowship and active service. None wished to move, but it was acknowledged by all that it would be better for some of the Christians to reach out to other districts, preaching the word in these places also. After much waiting upon God in prayer, thirty members of Woodcroft Assembly built a hall three miles to the northwest, while another hall was built by fifty others three miles to the southwest. Thus in happy fellowship they hived off from the parent assembly and started testimonies in those places. During the following three or four years, the parent assembly had again increased to about 250 in fellowship, and each of the infant assemblies more than doubled the number in fellowship. Since the commencement of this remarkable work, White's one of the pioneer workers, there has been no outstanding revival, and yet conversions have been fairly frequent, each year about 20 believers being baptized. God has principally used the Sunday school, the gospel meetings and the women's meetings. To these activities may be added the faithful labors of a brother and his wife who devoted half their time to the service of visiting the sick in body and the anxious in soul. The leaders in the Woodcroft Hall Assembly have ever sought to avoid a sectarian spirit or practice, their one desire being not to follow the tradition of men but simply to follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus, as illustrated in Holy Scripture in the records of the early churches. They are persuaded that in this period of the 20th century, God is not using the great gospel meetings as 50 years ago, but increasingly the testimony and life of God's people among their friends and neighbors, and so leading these to the Lord, or to the regular meetings or Sunday school, where they are led to the Lord Jesus. There are at the present time upwards of 120 assemblies of Christians known as Open Brethren in the London area. I have only been able to sketch a brief outline of the spiritual birth and grow of a few of these. To call up each assembly and tell the story of its inception and subsequent life would indeed be a formidable undertaking, even if the exigencies of time and space would permit the pursuit of such indulgence, and yet one hesitates to pass by with little more than passing reference, the many gatherings of the Lord's people, who, for long years, in times of stress, as well as during seasons of fruitful ingathering, have been faithful to the Word. As we have seen, from small and unostentatious beginnings in London, little companies of believers, leaving behind the alluring dazzle of ecclesiastical conventionalism that they might carry out the will of God in true apostolic simplicity, have, since the earliest times of this remarkable movement, increased with an influence which has made its presence felt in the religious world, spreading abroad in a wonderful way from the spiritual birthplace in Camden Town to the farthest suburb of the Great Metropolis.